2: Hello, I speak to you from just outside Westfield. I know, it's all glamour. I'm about to meet my 13-year-old. He's on half-term and he needs new football boots. Yeah, gets sexier, doesn't it, this chat? Uh, I've tried buying them online, but I keep getting it wrong and having to return them And he needs them for school. So, we've come here. He's going to meet me in a minute. I thought, I know what I can do. It's past the time. I can talk to you. How have you been... What have I been up to this week? Actually, you know what? This week has been pretty extraordinary. I've had very little work this week, and I've flipping loved it. Oh my gosh. I've actually been managing to get on with some other bits and bobs. I've been like a lady who lunches this week. I've just come from a lunch with a very good friend of mine, Nikki Palmer, who um, often works for me doing my hair and makeup, but she's also a friend. So we just met for lunch. That was nice. I went yesterday out with my mum to a little tea party for a... Um, actually a previous guest's clothing company O pioneers uh, clara who i spoke to oh when was that probably the third or fourth series so her shop's um doing really well they're, they're, Her business is three years old so well done to her for doing that through the pandemic very impressive beautiful dresses as it happens what else have i done oh i went to another lunch on tuesday for another very clever friend of mine called ella who has a clothing company called yoke so we had a lunch to celebrate that Honestly, my advice to everybody, make sure you have friends who are really good with making really nice clothes you like. It works out well, guys. Um, What else? I've done bits, little bits of work, but it's just been really nice and leisurely and I can really recommend it. (laughs) But I guess the best kind of leisurely is when you know there's work in the diary, right? Week after next, I go to Australia for a couple of weeks. So that's quite a big deal. So it's actually been really nice being home every night with the kids and doing the school run and all that stuff. So I see lots of them before I go away. And someone who knows a little bit about going away is this week's guest because she's over in London this week, Dawn O'Porter. She has been uh, living back and forth between L.A. and the U.K. And she's here at the moment because she's got a new book that's just come out called Cat Lady, which is sitting at home on my bedside table ready to be read. And um, I saw her actually yesterday, I think it was, on her Instagram. She put a picture of herself on a plane drinking some champagne saying, I'm going to really miss my kids over the next two weeks. (laughs) I thought, that's the attitude. I'm trying to try and have that with me for Australia too. Going there for some festivals. But honestly, what a lovely thing to talk to Dawn. I've actually been trying to get her on the podcast for a while because I know that whenever I ask um, who you would like me to speak to, her name comes up a lot. So I was very keen to get her to say yes. And initially she was like, I'd love to talk to you, Sophie, but I'm not doing podcasts right now. You know what? Sometimes you just got to hang in there, stay in the game. Don't take no for an answer. Be really annoying. And eventually, yes, she came round for a conversation and then some lunch. I really, really like Dawn. I've liked her since the day I met her. And I like the stuff that she does. I remember seeing her do a documentary about Dirty Dancing years and years and years ago before we met. I thought, that woman seems cool. And, uh, yeah, she's always really good company. Very, very positive, upbeat, industrious, funny. And her writing is great. Same sort of stuff, really. Witty and sharp. And um, we just had a really good conversation about so many different things. We spoke about Caroline Flack and what it feels like to grieve someone you love very much as a friend. That's just a very tricky thing to go through, isn't it, for anybody? Oh, the wind's getting up. It knows when I'm recording my podcast introduction. I'm hiding around. I'm loitering that near the automatic doors of Westfield. Um, and we spoke about raising your kids when you're travelling transatlantic, I don't know how you write with young children. And actually, Dawn told me, I can't remember if this is in the chat, I think it isn't. She says, I am partly responsible for the fact she's got kids at all. Because I remember meeting her out one night, we were in the same bar, and she was saying to me, she was, we were both a bit tipsy, and she was saying, when's a good time to have babies? And I was saying, there is really no right time. So if you're thinking about it, probably best to get on with it. She said she thinks she took her knickers off that night. <laughs> so you're welcome, Dawn. Happy to help with uh, a little bit of family planning when needed. Um, so, anyway, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go inside now because Kit's gonna be here any minute. So, I'll leave you with our lovely conversation and I will speak to you on the other side. It's really lovely to see you Dawn, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, I, I am good and I'm
3: trying to to answer that way when people ask me rather than list all the small annoying things that are actually going on. <laughs> I kind of want to know the small annoying things Well though. I cut my finger really badly this morning oh, when I was have? tidying up toys
2: oh on a um, toy
3: no ripped it on the wicker basket Ouch! yes absolutely awful and you know when you, you catch it and I'm like, oh that wasn't too bad and then you look down and it's literally like blood everywhere was, was there a bit of wicker sticking a bit in? of wicker sticking in Ooh. got that out and so dealt with that which is fine I also lost my suitcase the other day at Gatwick Airport which was very stressful and it hasn't turned up hasn't turned up I, I genuinely think it was stolen Really? I'm trying to be zen about it. It was one of those situations where I've just been up for a week in Scotland. I'd packed pretty light, so luckily I haven't lost like loads of my um, vintage clothing, which would, is frustrating because everything's a one-off. You can't yeah. really replace it. But my hair straighteners, I feel like, stop looking at me because my hair's awful because I lost my beloved hair straighteners so of 15 years. I'm actually going to have a memorial service for. Can
2: you not find a replacement pair? Well, the brand
3: had worn off years ago, oh, so, so there is, I've got are. no idea what they were. They oh. were random, given to me by a friend, and just... Perfect, and nothing else will do my fringe like they did. Quite little thin ones. They weren't that thin, but they were round. But Uh not not in a like tong way. No, they were just that they had this little curve in them, which with an air vent along the side, which I think just did the perfect bob under. And so, no modern hair straighteners don't have this air vent. I'm gonna have to find investment and set up my own hair (laughs) (laughs) straight. it's the only solution your next business venture comes into being only solution um so that was rather stressful but when you're trying to find the positives in life which I'm really trying to do at the moment is um my kid's like little kind of blanky thing that he slept with since he was a tiny baby and literally cannot sleep without was luckily in his backpack okay and so as soon as I realized that the whole stress of losing the other things just kind of Drifted away a little because I just realised that that would have actually been devastating. Yeah. So um, that's one of the other little things that's going on, but I'm trying to be positive about. And then what else? Um, my I keep pulling a muscle in the back of my leg. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and my childcare this week. I'm alone with the kids this week, and because we travel so much, I, my um, childcare is always uh, temporary and usually actresses who are resting. Okay. And trying to earn some how money. How do you find them? I find them great. They're exactly my energy. And I mean literally how are you find oh, them? Oh, I find them on that <laughs> bubble app. Oh, okay. Yeah, I usually find people on the bubble app, and um, which I think is amazing. Mm. And because um, I'm only back here for a few months, so it can't really commit to anybody. Yeah so this amazing girl has been, um, woman, sorry, has um, been babysitting for us this summer and she's fantastic, but she's an actress and it looks like she just got a job. So it means she's leaving on Tuesday instead of Friday. And just that, so I I I've now got to work. I'm that,
2: so happy for just, you. Uh, so, happy, <laughs> so happy for you, which
3: I am, because she's absolutely lovely. But um, I mean, this is this is the reality of being a working parent, isn't it? Yeah. You, you think you've got it all sorted and then something will remove itself from the perfect plan mm. and you've got to somehow piece it all together again definitely so just a little bit of that this morning but mostly just upset about my finger (laughs)
2: yeah the finger you could have done without the finger yeah you're feeling like oh come on yeah but actually but
3: even as i'm saying all that i'm realizing that i'm at a point going through a really lovely point of my life where nothing major is actually wrong everything's really good and that's kind of unusual and very nice feeling
2: Mm, that is a nice feeling and it's good to actually sometimes remember to like actually notice that yes because otherwise life just gets very busy and you're not really thinking about it and you look back and think actually that was a really nice bit yeah and you've got another book coming out i've got another book coming out at the end of october and um it's called cat lady and it's the it's very
3: weird i don't know where this woman came from inside of me um but she is she's living the life she's supposed to live and then she ends up living the life she wanted to live. Okay. That's the best way to describe her journey. She has a bit of an epic meltdown um, that was really fun to write, and um, there's a lot of love for our little furry friends in it.
2: Oh, yeah. how many cats does she have? She's only got one. It's not that
3: it's not that the story is necessarily about her and her cat, but she finds um, a support group for uh, people who are grieving their pets, and she goes there before her cat's even died, and they don't know that, but she kind of becomes... It's essentially about finding your community and a group of people that she never thought she'd be friends with who kind of pull her out of the rut that she's in. Um But we lost our dog earlier this year and I lost my cat in 2020. And it really tears you apart. Like it's absolutely awful. And you feel a little bit like you've only got a couple of weeks that you're allowed to really... Yeah. Like go into how sad you are about it. When I'm... Potato died in January and I still, like Chris and I can't, talk about it it's still like absolutely devastating but I was already writing the book about pet grief and he died within that time very suddenly and but it really validated that this is um is it you know this is just a really devastating thing that happens to people whether you're on your own or you're part of a family um and so I just wanted to kind of do that in the book and, like, honour that grief a bit. Yeah. And it felt very therapeutic to write about it. Yes. And to acknowledge that it really can be, for some people, totally devastating. Yeah, really huge. And yeah. when Potato died, my friends stepped up enormously. They are like, one friend, I'm going to... Uh, Rebecca Bacon, do you know Rebecca Bacon? Richard no. Bacon's wife. She's, she's a great friend of mine. She's out in L.A. She came and sat with me for two hours in my kitchen and let me just talk about my dead dog. And when she left, I was like, God, that was, that was a really amazing thing to do that not many people think you need when something like that happens. And I was like, you do. You need a friend to come around and let you talk about your pet that you loved and missed for, like, two hours. Mm. Because afterwards, you feel lighter, but you don't get allowed that so much when it's just a pet.
2: Yeah, and I think sometimes um, when a pet's died, you feel like you've got to say, oh, sorry, I know I'm being... Yeah. I know this is a lot, but actually it was a big part of the family. Yeah. So I feel like you've got to sort of put these parentheses of it.
3: A little bit. And you should be able to get the day off work and you should be able to, like, have a moment because it's it's really, really sad. So I kind of... I like the fact that I've written a book where I acknowledge how that is for people. And I think people who are reading it who have pets will go, yeah, it's really hard. Um, but it's also a fun book and it's also um, ridiculous. But my character is just a bit bizarre... I don't know where she came from inside of me, but she was just sitting there waiting to come out. So. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> it's quite funny, that, isn't it? When yeah. there's like a, this whole world in there and you're like, "Oh, that's a part of me I didn't really know was in there. I know. <laughs> but how brilliant to be able to set that free. I think that's... I mean, my mum wrote a book... Um, She's written a couple of books of fiction, but the first one she did was about a murderous girl in the 1700s in London, and it's really dark. It's really gory, and you wouldn't think that of my mum. So no. I quite like that. Like, oh, there's another side to you. It's, nice. it's
3: I love <laughs> it when people that we know, like personalities that we know from the TV or whatever, write fiction. And we see that they've got this kind of dark side within yes. them. I find that, that's my favourite. That's my favourite when someone that you think you know writes something really unexpected. Yeah. And this alter ego kind of comes out in what they write. There's nothing more exciting. Because a lot of the time when you know someone off the telly and you see they've read a book, you just presume you're going to see them in it.
2: Yeah, continuation. Yeah. And so is this your fifth work of fiction now? Okay. Is
3: it my fifth work of fiction? Uh, paper airplanes, goose, cows, so lucky... Yes, my fifth fiction. I think it's my seventh or eighth book. Yes. Um, And does the process change each time? My process is that I'll usually start writing about two and a half months before it has to be in, and I (laughs) will go through literal hell and have more self-doubt than should be allowed, call on my friends, scream and cry down the phone, say I can't do it, I fucked it this time, my career's over, it's absolutely awful and that's the first month and a half
2: okay and then you how long left yeah, two weeks from about that and then something
3: clicks where I'm like actually I think I love this I think it's really really great and so then I start to get really on like this kind of like just fairground ride of fun writing mm-hmm. absolutely love it and then I will get my first draft over to my editor and I will just wait for it's working or it's not working essentially is that first note and with Cat Lady, the process was really like, quite intense. It, you know, Chris was away for the whole four months that I was writing it and Potato died and it was just, it was just, everything was fine, but I just, there was a lot against me. It seemed mm. like lots of things kept going against me. Um, so when I first got that note back from my editor saying, I think it's really good, after that, it's an absolute pleasure. But that first, like, brain fart draft of all of my books is literal torture for everyone around me. I turn into a crazy monster. I find it so stressful, and I always think this is the book that's going to end my career.
2: And you're thinking, why have I done this to myself? Again? Yeah,
3: absolutely. <laughs> and
2: I think with this one, this is
3: my first book when I had one character. Usually it's a multiple mm. you know, cast, and I cut between them all, which essentially you're writing two, sometimes three little stories that you weave together, mm. which is kind of easier. But this time it was all Mia. It was all one person. That's a whole book where I can't all through her eyes so in first person and it's a harder thing to do right and so literally as I'm kind of halfway through I'm thinking I can't do this I'm gonna to have to make one of the other characters and make them a first person character as well and I just didn't give in I didn't give in and I got to the end now I just honestly I love it I think it's the best thing I've ever written oh well, that's lovely. I know which if you'd have spoken to me in February that was not what I was saying
2: isn't that crazy the creative process is a really strange one isn't it But it shouldn't be easy and yeah. sometimes, uh, you know,
3: sometimes you think in this life, I can work like that for, say, five to six months a year. And then I get a few months of not working so much. And then I'll, you know, have a month. I live an amazing, it's an amazing job. You are in control of your hours. I can always be there if my kids are sick. I can always pick them up from school. I can be very present at home as a mum. It's an amazing, amazing job. And it's right that it shouldn't always be easy. So when I go through the creative process like that and I find it very hard and I find it very stressful and I doubt myself in the way that I do, suffer from terrible insomnia when that's happening, I do think to myself, this is just part of the job. Yeah, You've got to take this as well as knowing that over the summer holidays I won't have to work very much, which yeah. is an amazing position to be in.
2: And I like that acknowledgement of like, yeah, it's it's okay that it's going to be hard sometimes. That's completely fair and right. Yeah. I think it's quite good to have that attitude Yeah, rather than thinking, why is it not just coming really simply? I don't know, there's a sort of, falsity that everything lots of creativity is actually just a really sort of effortless thing right actually no there's lots of stuff where it's no. the, the self-doubt and the and the bits where you reach a bit of a block and you have to try something else and thinking how do I chip away and make that make sense to where I need to get to exactly
3: and also you feel like with every book that I do I feel like I got better and I think the fact that I go through a torturous process every time shows that I'm, I'm not taking the easy route on any of this and I'm pushing myself mm. as a writer. And I think once you've got to the point where it's just kind of very easy and you're not, you don't need to try anymore, I don't know if I'd be writing my best stuff.
2: Um, so yeah, that's my process. And <laughs> am I right that when you first became a mum, that's the process you remember for the first time? You were writing your first.
3: I was no, I'd already done two fiction books before that. So this but that was my first like proper grown-up fiction. Right. So I'd done two young adult books before that. Based on me and my life in Guernsey, so easier because I had just so much, I had a lifetime of research to put into those ones. The Cows was my first grown-up fiction book. And I signed the deal for my first like two-book grown-up deal with HarperCollins and launched my closing clothing business on the same day when I was seven months pregnant with my first child and at that point because the baby hadn't come yet I felt like (laughs) She-Ra I was like I am incredible look at me businesses book deals babies just I am smashing it the baby comes out and that book deadline is seven months later the business was one of the most impossible things I've ever done and like I thought, I mean, I just, it was, I was literally breastfeeding art. I used to call my bed my office, had him on my boob whilst having my phone or computer, like working on the other hand, begging people for investment for my business whilst also like then switching to a Word document to try and write a chapter of the cows. It was, it was so hard Again, I'd still have moments of being like, I'm amazing, look what I'm doing. But then I thought, why am I doing this? This is all so unnecessary. Why am I being such a martyr? So when I was pregnant with Valentine, when I was seven months pregnant with him, I closed the clothing business. And I treated that what I thought was a failure, and it is a failure, but it's okay that it's a failure. I felt that was the strongest, best decision I'd ever made in my life. And so then I just had the babies in the books to worry about and everything got a lot easier. But yeah. like that. But with art, I just remember him being a baby and me just I had him with me the whole time. Mm. But I was just working all the time.
2: Yeah, but I suppose as you say, you you had the bit with the pregnancy where you were feeling kind of invincible. So you just think Oh, and this, this feeling will continue. Yeah. Forever. <laughs> and it's and it does a bit. And I think
3: this you know, when you when you've got the second one, there was your life is kind of already a mess because you've already got another one. So you just know what you're capable of a bit more. Mm. But before you have your first baby, you're so determined. I had such an identity crisis when I was pregnant in terms of, well, I didn't personally, but I felt that everybody else gave me an, an identity crisis, but just all they would talk about was the baby because I was so visibly pregnant. And obviously when you're in the public eye and you've announced your pregnancy, it's all anybody talks about. Yeah. Every interview that you do, everything. And then you've got walking down the street and people just constantly, um, when are you due? How are you feeling? What are you having? And I was just like, I just want to get a T-shirt that said on the back, don't ask me, when am I due? What am I having? Because I just felt like I've got all these other things going on in my life and all anyone wants to talk about is this bloody baby. And I, because you haven't got the baby yet, you haven't identified yourself as a mother. And so I was still identifying myself as someone who just launched a business and just got a book deal. And I just, I didn't want to just talk about the baby all the time. Once the baby's come, that changes a bit because then you're just, you, have, you can see what, how your life has changed. By the time you have your second baby, I'm like, my identity as a mother is as much or even bigger than what I used to be before. And I'm fine with that now because I love being a mum. Yeah. And the balance of it all is the fun bit. Um... So I, I didn't care so much about my career and my achievements when I was pregnant with Val. So letting the business go was like, how can I make my life better? Mm. And then I, what I also did with him is I took... It's very difficult when you're self-employed to get maternity, do maternity leave. You have to decide not to get paid. Mm. Um, and But I did. I took six months off with Val and literally didn't answer work emails and just said no to everything. And so now when my friends who are, you know in my position of doing my kind of work and they're like oh just carry on after I've had the baby I'm like you don't have to if you mm. can afford it obviously everyone's in a different position but if you can give yourself even two months of not stressing about work then don't be a martyr about this because you will still be able to pick up where you left off but with art I didn't give myself that time at all I was just like no I'm going to put the baby out and just crack on with my business and my books and yeah. be she and she failed <laughs> She, she uh,
2: lost that battle. I mean, Shira, but she's having a really big meltdown. Yeah, she was really upset <laughs> she, a lot of the time. It's interesting what you say there about that identity crisis because I really understand where you're coming from with that. And I think there's a lot about motherhood that's so... I'm going to say this wrong, but Fetishised. Mm-hmm. About the sort of, like, what's supposed to happen to you and, and how you can feel like you've totally lost yourself and all you are then is just, like the baby's mother yeah. and I think pushing back against that you get this sort of rebellion of like I'm still me I just happen to be having a baby at the moment but yeah. can we please talk about all the other stuff or, or talk about none of it but don't just obsess about this like impending yeah. but do you think some of your um, awareness of that was also because you're still you're figuring out what it is for you
3: totally and I also think but from my experience of that was first baby don't talk to me about this baby I'm more than this baby I don't care about this baby as much as I care about my career. (laughs) So just ignore the bump and just ask me questions about my business. That is the thing that I'm proud of. Second baby, like, can we just talk about the baby? I'm so excited about the baby. It's great. Ask me about the baby. Work? What? What what was that? What was that? I mean, if I was like you and had five, by the time the fifth one came along, I'd probably just be like pure 1950s housewife. (laughs) Don't talk to me about work. I am just so happy being a mom. But I feel like For me, I I had such negative, you get fed such negative connotations of motherhood sometimes in terms of that it will end something for you. Some things will become unachievable. It's going to really get in the way of your creativity. You're never going to have time to do anything. You're not going to be able to think about anything but the baby. It's going to change everything. And actually, that isn't what happens. I did feel like now I'm I'm more productive than I was before I had my kids in terms of work. And, you know, I'm through the baby bit, which is helpful. But I'm more productive now. I get more written, more done. I have more ideas. I've got more grip of my career than I did before I had my first kid. Like, having babies has only made me better at what I do. And so, in in a way, I am everything that I feared... Like, I wanted to be when I was pregnant with my first. Just in that kind of quest to not let go of myself before... I think I missed out on a little bit with my first baby of just being so determined to not let go of the dawn I was before I had him. And like I said, with Valentine, I was just more just kind of like, just going to be a mum for a bit.
2: Yeah, but I think that's really, um, I think that's a really understandable thing, all that, because you're right, that there's there's this, this impending feeling of like, when this baby comes, I'm going to lose part of my ability to focus on what I love, to be creative about it, um, to still make you know, um, unbiased uh, decisions about what I want to do because that's always been, if that's the fire in your belly and what's been your motivation, that being threatened is quite a scary idea. And you don't know what's on the other side. You're like, well, this is just happening. I'm on this ride. And am I going to find myself easily on the other side? I think I definitely felt like that. But it, it took me longer than you, it sounds like. I felt like the first maybe couple of years, I felt like I was sort of still finding myself again in terms of like, how do I make sure that, All that stuff that was so me is still part of my life now. Yeah. Even though I'm also Sonny's mum. So I found that really tricky, actually. Yeah.
1: I've
2: read a lot of times that you talk about your independence and how you felt like you had a lot of independence through your childhood and your upbringing. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously something that's a really massive part of who you are. Yeah. So that being that tree being a little shaken as well. It's true. I mean, I was
3: I was because I, I lost my mum when I was very young, and so then I was raised by my aunt and uncle, which was great, but they weren't my parents. There's just one step removed on the fact that they you know, how independent you are from them from a, like an earlier age, which I, you know, at the time might upset me sometimes, but now I think is great. But, um, oh, I was going to lead on to a point there and I can't quite remember what it was. But I do think, um, oh, but I, I, but I, so I was always that way and even up until, I think I had art when I was, I had art when I was 36 and up until about 33, I didn't know if I wanted kids. I was very much like, I don't know if I can, Like, if I want that, I want to, you know, I like my independence. Mm. But then I suddenly, I think I must have been around turn 35, and I just woke up with this, like, I need to fill my womb. I have to have a baby. Almost like I was bored of myself, and I didn't, and there was, I'd just fulfilled or got to the end of the line of, like, what I could possibly bring to my life, and then just needed something to come from somewhere else. And it would have been, it was my cat in my 20s the last time I got that feeling. But then as you kind of hit your mid-30s, it was like, oh, it's a baby. I think, oh, my God, I want a baby. And then it was literally like, knickers off, impregnate me. I need a baby in my belly. I suppose
2: that's being broody in its yeah, like it purest form. Yeah, But it
3: was, I couldn't believe how physical the broody feeling was. It was not, oh, I think one day I'd like to have a kid. It was like, it was, it was animal instinct.
2: Wow. Yeah. I don't think I've ever really had that feeling because I had, I had my first one I wasn't really expecting to be well, pregnant. They, yeah, so you never had that feeling <laughs> no, of needing or wanting there. one. But it was, yeah, I remember. My
3: sister was the same. She was like, suddenly, God, I need to have a baby. So I really wanted art. I really wanted my baby so much. But I just hadn't quite worked out how to not be the person that I was before. But mm. almost as soon as he was born, I was like, OK, I'm all of these things now. I fell mm-hmm. into all the roles very comfortably.
2: And I've spoken to a few people now who they've lost a parent when they're young and it's affected a lot of them in different ways. And for some of them, it's made them feel like they've sort of not got a map of what, like, motherhood, mm. that style of parenting looked like. Is that how you felt?
3: I really didn't. It's really... I feel like maybe it should have affected me a bit more than it did, but I've lived with my aunt and uncle since I was 10. And my auntie's, like, you know, just feels like my mum. I was... We were very much a family of four. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So I had that figure in my life. I think she's such a massive influence on me that i I don't feel like I was missing that that influence. I don't feel like it wasn't there in my life. also, my sister had kids a couple of years before me, also weirdly two boys, and I'd spent so much time with her and her kids that i um, I felt like I was just i just moving on from that i didn't Panic about it. I feel like I am a very maternal person. Mm. Whether my mum had died or not, I think I would have always been a very maternal person. And even if I didn't know if I wanted kids, I was i have always had a maternal, yeah. kind of sensibility about me.
2: But you don't have to have um, children to be maternal. No, not some at all. of my most
3: maternal girlfriends don't
2: have exactly. Babies.
3: But I do think that people ask me a lot actually if when you got pregnant, did it really? Did you miss your mum? Did you start to... And I just really didn't. time The only time that I really felt it... She died when I was very young. She yeah. died when I was... Just before I was seven. So I don't have, like, memories of her. So I don't, I've i never... I've never missed her. It's not like you miss that person. Mm. You feel a gap in your life and you wonder, like, what was supposed to be there. But it's not an actual... You know, when my friends' parents have died as older who have had a lifetime with them. They miss them. I don't have that feeling. So it wasn't like when I got pregnant, I wished that she was there. It was, it's a different kind of grief. It's a different kind yeah. of emptiness that you have. So I had my, when I had my kids, I had my auntie and my sister, and I, I feel like I had everything I needed. Mm. Um, but the only time that I ever really felt it was this year, my eldest, Art, his birthday is two days after mine. On my birthday this year, he was the exact age that I was when my mum died. And I kept having these moments, I was looking at him and just going... I always thought I was a little girl and that it all, you know, I I remember it very clearly, but I I think I just thought I was younger and less emotionally mature. And I look at him and I'm like, God, you know exactly what's going on. Like, if that happened to you now or to me, so what would happen to him, he would be absolutely distraught. And you realise, so I just realised what trauma went into my body at that age and what kind of got buried. And it came up a bit this year like oh god like just seeing that's exactly the age and that's what I would have been like
2: yeah because six seven that's yeah you are I mean they say show me a child of seven and I'll show you the the grown-up don't they so there is a lot that goes in sorry (laughs) it's I've always found that phrase a little bit terrifying. I don't actually remember where it's from I think it's from um it's not George Orwell but it's someone like that I'll find out yeah but um it, I've always found that a, quite a scary one as well because it means that you, it's possible to sort of bugger up quite a lot of aspects of parenting very early yeah, on. Yeah, great. <laughs> can, I, can I have a little extension yeah. on that, please? There's some things I haven't quite got right yet. But um, I think it's interesting those things um, when you do look at your kids and it holds a mirror up to the age you well when certain significant things happened. I mean... I haven't lost a parent but I had my parents um, divorced when I was little and I was an only child when that was happening so all those ages I've got my memories they're sort of like little fractured memories and some of them probably aren't real memories they're sort of cobbled together from photographs and stories I've heard and sort of made into something that may or may not have really even happened yeah but when you see your kids that age you're like oh that's yeah, they do take a lot in. Yeah, and you would have taken it all in, but you you
3: obviously you can't hold on to every memory in your life, but it still goes in, all the yeah. things that are happening. You said something really brilliant on Instagram uh, last Christmas where um I always really stress about Christmas. It really, really stresses me out. It means so much to me. I'm so yeah. so I'm like a planet in, you know, February. I'm like where are we going to be? What are we going to do? What family can we be with? blah blah blah. And it's always about Christmas Day. It's always Christmas Day. And oh, right. you said on Instagram you came from, you know, a, are we allowed to say broken home? Or is that a really yeah. terrible story? I think that's what you said. Or you came from family, uh, parents that had split up. So Christmas was more than just a day. Yeah. And the Christmas period, because you obviously wouldn't be able to spend Christmas Day with both your parents. It totally changed my, like, stress factor about well, Christmas. Nice. I'm like, so last year we went to Ireland to be with Chris's family the week before. And we just did Christmas. And then we spent Christmas Day in our house in London, not with everyone. And I, for the first time ever, didn't feel like I had like, failed by not being in a thousand places at once on Christmas Day.
2: Oh, well, I'm glad. I, yeah, I was th- you have to think of it as a season, yeah. I think, rather than just a day, because there's too much emphasis on that day. And I don't think anything brought that home more than the Christmas we had the year before last, where London was in the area yeah, where we course. weren't allowed to suddenly see anybody. And so we had Christmas Day here, just us and the kids. And it was basically just as if we were having, like, a Sunday lunch. And it was really pretty miserable. And at first, you know, that instinct of just, oh, just pack it all up. What, what are we doing this for? Yeah. Why have I bothered with the decorations? This is rubbish. But obviously, you know, it was fine. We got through it. It was all, you know, it could have been a lot worse. But it's like you have to have that, um, it's a season. But thinking over, why, why is Christmas, why had it become so significant, do you think? I think...
3: I think because I remember my mum's last Christmas, I think I just associate it with... I mean, maybe there's a there's a morbid side of me that is just like, you don't know what's going to happen the following year. So you've got to make the most of this day where people come together. I think yeah. there's something kind of deeply ingrained in me that it's a really important day. And it's family. Family memories, the photos, the just all the, the, the moment where you all just come together. And I love it. And also, basically, I love it. I love the yeah, food. Yeah, I love it too. I love everything about the Christmas aesthetic. Day. I love everything about Christmas Day. I love cooking it all. I love spending five hours in the kitchen. I love all of it, and I just need to. I think so. There's that, and then there's just you know, my family's My my parents, my aunts and uncle. I call them my parents are in Guernsey, my dad's up in Scotland. We've got. Um, f- I love friends' Christmases as well. We've got all of Chris's family in Ireland, and then my sister in Bristol. And I just wish we could all just be together. I just find it very. I just want to have spent a, a good Christmases with all of them. Yes. But it's never going to happen that we're all in the same place. No. So, spread, so it I, out. Yeah. spread it out, Yeah. So I think I just get very
2: kind of, have, are we with the right people? But we're lucky, I think, because that sounds like both of us actually have a very positive association with what the essence of it is. I love it. Because I love it too. And I love that feeling of everybody being together. Yeah. Love big family Christmases. And it's making me think when you said about, Memories and all, and and the sort of morbid undercurrent of memory making, and not in a naff way, like, oh, let's make a memory, because I always find that makes me like seize up and then I can't do anything, yeah. But just in terms of um, wanting every day to end on a good note, because I always feel like, well, what if something I don't know, I I think I've always had this feeling like, what if there's something really awful like about to happen and we're in the concentric circle leading up to it, yeah. I want to make sure that all the days, as far as I'm contributing to it, end on a Good term, massively. I do that. Yeah. I was I, and just on on the other thing. But as you, because
3: you asked me that question, I think about why Christmas is so important. Important. I definitely. Chris always kind of laughs me because I'm really obsessed with traditions. So then I try and create traditions all the time. So I <laughs> had this idea once for birthdays. I was like, right, what we're going to do on birthdays, we're going to have a birthday tree. And so those ever birthday days, we're going to have a tree in the living room and we'll do what we do on Christmas where their presents go under the birthday tree. Okay. And I just thought that would be a really fun thing. We kind of do that. It never happened. But <laughs> I'm always trying to create these little... Because tra- I'm trying to give my memories. <laughs> yeah, it is, but my memories of my mum are very, very, very... Like sparse. I don't really remember much. So I think there's a part of me that wants to keep creating memories and traditions for my kids so they have loads of things to remember, which is not, it's kind of a waste of time because they'll remember, they're having a great life and they'll remember all the
2: lovely things. But um, well, what did you say just now? Because I was. I was saying about that sort of slightly morbid undercurrent of wanting every day to end in a good way yes. just because so, you don't know what else um, to do. My friend Josie and I last
3: night went swimming in the ladies' pond in Hammersmith. Oh, very nice. And it was
2: just. I mean, it's the most glorious
3: thing. If anyone. In Hampstead. So in Hampstead, sorry. No, yeah, not Ham- Hammersmith. No, no, very different. <laughs> if you find, a <laughs> if you find a ladies pond in Hammersmith, <laughs> don't stay go well away. <laughs> so um, we we walked like 20 minutes through Hampstead Heath and then found the ladies pond at about six o'clock at night. I had to queue for about half an hour, which was fine. Mm. And then we got in and we just kind of jump into this freshwater lake and swim around with all these ladies. It's the most. Wonderful, gorgeous, heavenly thing to do in London. And we're just so lucky that we get to do it. And so. I've never done that. Oh, you must do it. Do it's that. just glorious. Well, next I'll time like I'm that. over, let's go. Because it's just so glorious. And anyway, so I was. I said, well, JC and I were then kind of walking afterwards, just feeling very lucky that we got to do something like that. And I said, it's really important some days because you don't know what's going to happen. Shit can hit the fan at any point, whether it's to you or someone that you love. And it can just, you know, change the next few months or the next few years or the rest of your life in a heartbeat. And I was just saying, I'm really at a point right now when right now I can say this with total conviction and as honestly as I can, that if it all ended for me tomorrow, everything was a storming success. Like I've done everything I ever wanted to do. I've experienced like extreme highs and extreme lows, felt pain, felt love, done all the things that if it all ended tomorrow, if we've got the news that just ended the fun then it's all okay and so I like it's too much pressure to say to yourself to try and feel like that every day but it's really lovely when you can get to the end of one day after doing something lovely I had a really stressful day with my kids yesterday once your kids say know, it's fucking awful I'm never going again um so I was so annoyed <laughs> on I was the weekend too hot well. both kids moaned all day summer holidays it was so miserable and then I, got, I text our babysitter and I was like can you just come at 5 30 so I just get the this house i'm losing my mind and she said yes and josie and i went and like jumped in a pond and so i ended my day mm. feeling really great but if my day had ended four hours earlier it would have been really awful but i'm really trying when the when you have one of those beautiful moments no matter how it comes your way sometimes it's just that you go to Waitrose, God, such a or go to sainsbury's or wherever you shop um for chicken kievs and they've got them that's a real win because yeah. I have gone to buy chicken cares before and they haven't got them, and that's what everyone wanted for <laughs> dinner, and it's really annoying and really stressful. And I'm trying that when the good things happen to go, this was a good day, and yeah. just like because I have a tendency, I think I'm a positive person, but I can get really, I can get really stuck and into the, all the bad things and stressful things. Going, I can get really hung up on those, and you hear yourself when someone says to you, "How are you?"
2: Just listing all the bad things. Yeah. actually... I'm definitely like that as well. I don't think that means you're not a positive person. I think it's probably just your way of... Well, I think it's my way and your way of, like, dealing with stuff. Get it out of my head, share it, have someone go, oh, yeah, that does sound annoying. Yeah. Um, I don't like it when I've had something stressful happen to me and I tell Richard and he's not really properly listening. No, but husbands can be like that. I need That's what the, girlfriends I are for. need the appropriate response, please. <laughs> yes. And it's not as much that you heard me. You've got to listen. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but I just need to offload it, really. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really important. I think offloading is really
3: important. But sometimes a friend that hasn't I haven't seen in months will just text me and say how are you doing, and I just like list shit things. i like, <laughs> I didn't need to do that to you. I could have said, oh, I'm fine. A few annoying things, but generally everything's great, unless something's genuinely awful. But I'm just trying to like
2: I'm just trying to focus on the more positive things. No, I moan about stuff all the time, but yeah, then I it, yeah. But I think it's quite, I don't think that's a bad thing. Please don't let that be a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, and it's not, and
3: we're all up against it a lot, and it's mm. not a bad thing. I just think it was just a nice moment last night when I'm yeah. like, I ended my day not thinking about Kidzania hell. I ended it thinking <laughs> about the nice thing that happened that day I'm trying to make, make that what my day was about as opposed to literally wanting to walk away from my children in Westfield and leave them there.
2: I mean, well, Kidzania is a funny concept, isn't it? Mini versions of businesses.
3: <laughs> I'll tell you our experience of it. My eldest art, oh, bless him. Queued up for 20 minutes to get into the pilot thing. Yeah. But it's only eight allowed in and he was number nine. So Um. then they said, oh, it's going to be another 20 minutes. And I just said to the woman, you're talking to a seven-year-old about casually sitting on this bench for 40 minutes. Do you not see the problem? Like, why aren't you all saying, we're going to be a while, but go to this thing or go to that thing. That's really fun. They were just like, no, sorry, computer says no attitude the whole time. Yeah. And Which I get, because if I was surrounded by children all day, I would be the same, like Mm. literally hundreds and thousands of children running around. I just, it's not the one for me.
2: When we went, I've only been, um, I think I've been once, and I took, at the time, Kit, he's 13 now, so he must have then been about little, six or seven. We walked in, I said, you can be every, every possible job, every possible occupation, and he looked around and went, can you be a criminal? <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely I like, brilliant. Probably yes. Let's do it. <laughs> no, I, it, it, it
3: just, it, it's a weird place. I loved the idea, but I think it's an amazing concept. And I'm sure some kids go there and just have an absolute ball. But you were not but having it. Yesterday. We were not those people.
2: And in different news, how do you find travelling and moving home with your small people?
3: It's got easier. So, is, how long has LA been home? Fifteen years. Fifteen years. I've been there for fifteen years, and I met Chris there fourteen years ago.
2: Oh wow! So it's—I thought you'd been dotting around. a well, bit Well, we more go than back that. and forth
3: all the time. There was a. Then we got married ten years ago. Next week, ah, and, congratulations! And um, thanks. And but we we were back for about a year and a half, two years around then, in the middle. But I first moved there fifteen years ago, and you know, before that, before I met, uh, before we had kids, traveling was great. Who cares? Mm-hmm. But then as soon as we had babies, I, I did my first trip with Art from there to here when he was three months old and that was to do a pop-up shop for that clothing business. Mm. So I went straight into like traveling with him, working with him. He was a really easy baby, so it was kind of okay. But you know when they're that age, you've got a whole suitcase of baby paraphernalia, you know, like eight bottles because you couldn't possibly buy anything there yeah. and all that stuff. And that was hard. And I had some flights with him where it was just awful and you screamed the whole way and then they start to walk and so it's just up and down for the entire 10 hours Yeah, and some really soul-destroying times with him but also some really great ones. So he's now an amazing traveller. Oh, that's good. Um, I'm just focusing on the literal travel bits to start off with. Then Valentine came along and I did my first flight on my own with him when he was, um, with them both, when he was six weeks old and Art was two and a half, mm. which was weirdly fine because the baby's easy. yeah. But um, so the, the, you've got a toddler then. There was one flight when I think it was Valentine just kept on taking the glasses off, the man sitting behind us. He just wouldn't stop, and there was nothing I could do but I'd be physical with my baby until the man just gave him his glasses. It was horrific. I've had, like, people come up to me and swear at me because Art oh, won't stop opening and closing the blind. It was driving this woman insane. I've spilt red wine over a lady. I was drinking the red wine, which was like, I'm having the red wine on this flight. And... Um, <laughs> So, but now we're through, now like the anxiety oh, connected with actual. So yeah, but they're pretty good on a flight now, which yeah. makes the whole moving around thing a lot easier. So, that's the literal travel stuff, which is now I feel like we've,
1: You've you know, know that t- now. I
3: don't have to have water bottles with me, just buy it. Like, we can, you know, everything's yeah. just easier. And so, but then you're dealing with like the actual, the packing, where we just said so last year we did six months in London. The kids w- we got, had to get the kids into schools and do all that stuff. And it's hard. It is hard. I do feel incredibly lucky that life is so active. And while the kids are small that we've been able to carry on, yeah. Chris will just randomly get a job in like Toronto for five months. So we're just moving to Toronto. So what's dictating
2: the moving around? Is it Chris's work mainly? Mostly Chris's work. So you can work wherever you are, I can work much. anywhere, which is I'm so
3: grateful for. I mm. don't do any TV or anything like that anymore. And um, so as long as I've got my laptop, yeah. I can be anywhere. Um, so last year in 2021, we did Toronto for five months and London for six months. And then, yeah, it's it's a lot. It's hard. Now the kids are getting older. It's psychologically harder on them. Like, Art really missed his friends last year, and I felt really bad. And that was the first time that's ever happened. Yeah. Usually it's like, oh, we're going here, we're going here, and they don't really care. He started first grade in London, did six months of first grade there, and then did six months in America. And it was hard on him. So now but we ha- but we couldn't travel separately because of the pandemic you know it's still yeah. like two weeks isolation on either side so we all just had to go usually if Chris gets a job somewhere I stay home with the kids keep them in the school that they're in and it's hard that Chris is away but it's much easier on me and the boys just to stay at home mm-hmm. but the pandemic obviously made that really hard yeah but it looks like all of that is done now yeah so I'm again I'm kind of I go between two feelings with all the travelling. Like, in one way, I feel incredibly lucky that life isn't boring. In another way, it's exhausting. But I do think in the next few years, we'll probably pick a country, um, whether it's there or here, and just do a lot less travelling. Yeah. Um, which I really look forward to. And you know, I'm 43, the kids are older, school's more important to them. I'm done with living out a suitcase. Um, you know, we've done that. We've done all of that while they've been small with... We always find local childcare, which... Because we've never done the kind of travelling with a nanny thing. So we always... Our childcare is always being quite patchy. Usually, like I said, em- employ actors where we could lose at any minute, but it also gives us the freedom to be able to yeah. go away rather than, you know, messing with someone's job. We don't want to have to take people with us. It's just not who we are. Yeah. So it means we've done a fuck of a lot of parenting in a lot of different places. And... um i'm really proud of that i'm really proud that the life that we live, the kids have had us and um but i'm also tired. I am getting tired i'm looking i want to I want to get my roots down you you know you can move into a house and just know that you 're leaving it in a few years yeah. and therefore you don't really get into the walls
2: no, I know that feeling very well yeah it's really nice when you can get into the walls I want to get into the walls now i'm feeling so that the next few years are going to be
3: about like that decision. Yeah. I come into your house now. So like, just to set the scene for people that are listening, I'm sitting at Sophie's <laughs> dining table. It's the most fantastic house I've ever been in. There's ornaments everywhere. It's kind of creepy in places, lots it's of definitely. dolls faces, but there is just, this family is embedded into the walls of is this the house. Is it family or is
2: it me? Well, it's you, but it's
3: also, well, you know, you are, you are the family, but you, you couldn't, if you moved out of this house, mm. The next person just has to accept that it was always Sophie Ellis house, <laughs> and no matter what they did to it, your your oh, I knew you said germs, but your 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 aura
2: will forever be. I think here. germs is accurate. I just think, Come, I can't move, look at all the stuff. Yeah, you can never move. It would just be, can you imagine? No, that dresser <laughs> is already like two boxes
3: full of weird dolls.
2: When we last moved, it was 10 years ago, and um, no, a little longer actually, 13 years ago, and I promised myself no moving for at least a no. decade. Well, you told me when you did my <laughs> podcast the other day that your mum has been in the same house since you were
3: 11. Yeah. So that, do you have that feeling of, I'm not, leave, that's what you want?
2: Yeah, and I think this is a family home, so I'd, I want to... I like I like the fact that here I can do something and enjoy it for the full lifespan of you know, the wallpaper or yes. a carpet, and then think and I'll I'll really enjoy that because it's gonna I'm gonna be able to be here for long enough rather than it being like oh if I do it, whoever moves in next will get it for longer absolutely. than me absolutely no I think that's right <laughs> so
3: my my aunt and uncle's house that I got bought up in Guernsey is this beautiful cottage on the cliffs in Guernsey that they bought sixty years ago as a two bedroom place that they have kind of built themselves into this gorgeous cottage, and it is the fact that I get to go back to the house that I grew up in is so special. The idea that someone else lives in that house or that it isn't part of our family just absolutely destroys me. Yeah. So, and I want that now.
2: Um, Can I ask you a little bit about Flackstock? Yes, please. How
3: was that? Um, It was absolutely incredible. So we put on a festival for my friend Caroline Flack because she loved festivals and she loved dancing and she loved singing and it just felt like the right tributes. Natalie Pinkham who came up with the idea and texted me and said, would you be up for helping? And I said yes, but I really meant no. I was honestly found the whole thing a bit too soon, very heartbreaking and terrifying. Like, how the hell are we going to put on a festival? It's no joke.
2: Yeah, I, it's a big I, deal. Yeah, I'd seen the deal. Fire Festival
3: documentary. I was like, no, this is, this is not, this is terrifying. But then she asked another, like, more people, and the more people came on, I was like, it's okay, we can do this. We're a connected group. As long as we get funding and we can pay to have it put on properly, yeah. then I think we can do this. Yeah, that's and so smart, actually. Yes, and so um, McDonald's actually was our main sponsor. They gave us 300,000. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, I'll check, but I think I can. Um, which got the cost of running the festival sorted, and as soon as that was done, and I knew that you know the toilets would be there, the, just all the infrastructure of yeah, it yeah. was secure, I felt a lot better about it. How it was, many people did you have? Um, I think in the end we had about four and a half thousand. Oh wow! And it was on a Monday. Started at four in the afternoon and finished at about ten thirty at night. So as we expected, until about like seven o'clock, it was a really lovely crowd, but not packed. And everyone came in the evening. Yeah. And it was it ended with Olly Murs singing Sweet Caroline. It was the crowd was unbelievable. It was the most incredible energy. I was on stage quite a lot because I couldn't get off it. I just kept, I went on with Ronan Keating and everyone saying Life is a Roller Coaster, which I, I don't know if I'd like, appreciated that song as much as it deserves until that moment. that everyone in the place was just having the best time.
2: It sounds really It joyful. was so
3: full of love. But my thing at the start was, you know, we don't have to, we're doing this for a, a feeling of hope. To abolish any shame around people that die this way, we want people to feel that they've got support that we can talk about this. And as much as it was a memorial for Caroline, it was that too. And I just feel like everything about it was perfect. There was so much crying; it was so emotional. You'd I be bet. having the best time, and then you'd remember why we're here. And I'm like, I don't want to be here.
2: Yeah, don't why is put this it all on happening? A festival for I
3: Caroline, what the fuck? Where is she? Why aren't we at like latitude this weekend? just having a great time and um, so that would that would just hit you every now and then of being like this isn't joy and then it was joy because life is life and people die and you've got to celebrate them and you've got to put out a message of hope and
2: um, you know positivity to people who need it I think you're right as well about the The taboo and about making it so that it's like you know an acknowledgement of people who die that way and making it about hope and conversations and togetherness. But I know exactly that feeling of that weird um, coexistence of the emotion of the joy that you're all together, but the absolute sadness of why it's a a thing at all.
3: Absolutely. And it was... um, But I'm so... And even on the morning, when I was getting dressed in the morning, I was just an absolute wreck. I couldn't stop crying. I was like, what have we done? I feel like... I honestly felt like I was getting ready for her funeral again. I felt exactly the same as I did that morning. And I was just so scared. I thought, if people don't come, if it's not good... That's just going to make, like, her family sad. It's just not th- what we want to do for Caroline's legacy there's a lot of
2: pressure as well on all of you but to just, deliver something yes, that has that, that so ends much. on th- in that that way that has that note of hope rather and it was, than
3: yeah and I was like if we get this wrong if people don't come it's it's just going to be really really sad and as soon as I got to the location I was like I think it's going to be okay and this yeah. this feeling of positivity around us all like anxious but and as soon as like the gates opened that first hundred people walked in I was like if this is all that comes, it doesn't matter. We've done the right thing. And they just kept coming and they just kept coming and they just kept coming and it was amazing. And I am coming to you for next year if we do it again. Because yeah. I kept thinking about to. you. What I loved about it was the lineup was very specifically about people who knew Caroline. Mm-hmm. So it's an eclectic, wasn't the biggest names, but it was all about her. And it was the most perfect lineup for the first one. It was incredible. But I kept thinking about you because this the, the atmosphere on the stage and in the crowd. And it made me realize if we do do it again, it has to be about feel-good bangers. And that's what you're you're all about. And I just kept imagining you in your little sequence and some ostrich feathers just (laughs) absolutely rocking it on that stage. So expect an email. I think we we all want to do it again. We all want to. But it would probably be... That one was the first one, really about Caroline. We'll will move away slightly and make it more about the cause. I think, yeah. Although she'll obviously, it's called Flaxstock. It will always be it's her, her, her memory. It's her festival. But I want to, I want to take it to everyone else a bit and just yeah. to make sure that everyone there who's got so many people in that crowd, lost people in this way, so many people had, and I want to make it about
2: them. Yeah, yeah. No, and I'd be there. I mean, I was going to say with bells on, but it's like I don't need them if I've got my sequins, <laughs> my feathers, but. Um, I mean, I didn't know Caroline as well as a lot of her very close friends, but we'd spent time together, and mm. I think the last time I saw her was actually at Glastonbury, yeah. dancing somewhere in a field. So I think um, it was completely fitting to do a festival, and I'm so glad, it was such an amazing Me success. Too. Me too, What a lovely thing. Yeah. Um, what was your, sorry to go to a slightly darker side, but what right. was your memory of when, when she died and having the kids? I've, I've always, often wondered what it must be like to deal with, I mean, there's lots of different ways of experiencing grief. Like I lost my stepdad and that's one form of grief. But I think when someone's that young mm. and it's in such a tragic way, it's a different, the grief has extra teeth to it, mm. I think. So what's that like when you've also got young kids and did you speak to them about anything? And presumably not they not knew at the
3: time, like. the mum was so young at the time. They were five and two. Yeah. And so she died on the 15th of February, just before the pandemic got its claws into us all, which is just so weird because I kind of blur the whole thing together now. Of a bit. course, it's
2: like the whole world went wonky.
3: Um, I mean, I got COVID on the way back to LA from her funeral on the Friday and then the world shut down on the Monday. It's just this weird period of yeah. grief and like, not being able to leave the house and still being in floods of tears for like six hours a day with two kids at home and um, I like cried in cupboards. I just I didn't want them to see they were going through enough school had just been shut down. My five year old is being forced to do some weird thing on his computer which he didn't know, you know, school, where are his friends, what's going on, Trump's voice blowing through the radio, um, you know, everyone's gonna die, everyone's gonna die, oh my god, we're all dying and I was like, what the kids are about to go through is so whatever is happening, I'm not gonna put my grief on top of them as well. So I um I dealt with it quite privately and in, in a little house in a little bungalow that we were living in at the time and somehow just realized the importance. It wasn't a very big one, but I had a walk in wardrobe and a mother must always have one so that she can go in there and cry. <laughs> That's what I discovered. But in terms of the day itself, I mean, it was, I got the call from my friend Josie at about seven thirty in the morning, about an hour before it broke on Twitter and just eternally grateful that I heard it from her rather than if I'd have woken up late that morning, I would have seen it yeah. on the internet, which is just terrifying. Um, Chris was in the living room with the kids and I just texted him and I just said, something really awful has happened. Can you put the TV on and just come to me? And I can't imagine what he was faced with when he came into the room. I was just howling. Um, it was awful. Anyway, it was actually Rebecca Bacon again who I... Um, one thing I realised about when people have experienced grief, you have to call people, you get a lot of texts. There's two people that call me, my friend Michelle and Rebecca Bacon... And I think people think you won't answer the phone or that you don't want to talk, but when and sometimes you don't. But just to see that they're ringing, yeah, just it's like it's like a shot of love. And but I answered the phone to Rebecca. I was supposed to be going to her kid's birthday party that day, and she just said, "Look, come. There's going to be loads of English people there who all knew her. Just come. Otherwise, what are you going to do? You're going to sit at home and you know be on all fours wailing, which is essentially what I was doing. And um, so I went to this. Kids' party, and I just kind of stood there, and a few English people, and everyone was in shock. And then my friend Mel was doing a performance of the vagina monologues that afternoon that was really important to her. And I was supposed to be going, and so I said to Chris, Take the kids home, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go and do this. And I just remember getting there, and I was just kind of sitting in the audience watching Mel. And as soon as she'd done her monologue, luckily she was quite near the front. I just ran out the room and then was just, there's, I just got this image of me standing on the corner of Holly, Hollywood Boulevard and Cuenca Boulevard, roaring, just roaring. And managed to order a Uber, got home. And then I just, I mean, I was just an absolute mess for months. Yeah, it just absolutely a- tore the heart out of me. Couldn't believe it. I still can't believe it. Being in London, and then, you know, then this weird kind of life happens when the pandemic happened. And I couldn't work out if that was a blessing or not. I didn't want... The world had to stop turning. That's what had to happen. And I could not imagine trying to be normal, yeah, living my normal, normal life. Yep. Yeah. So in one way, it was good that it happened, but I was, you know, I had two really small kids. Yeah. And they weren't at the age where... You, they, they were at the age when they needed your, you constantly didn't really one of the youngest one didn't really sit and watch TV for any period of yeah. time we had to provide activities and do stuff with them all
2: the time and maybe that was good as well because it was as a distraction they, yeah, but, and also maybe it's quite good they're not at that age where they really stop to take stock of how you are No, and my kids had no idea
3: i've yeah. told my eldest since my friend died last year and it was really hard. you know he asked me how did she die and i just said do you know what artie i'm going to i'm going to tell you when you're older Cause i didn't want to lie to him and i also yeah. didn't want to tell him i don't want him to know that that people struggle in that way at his tender age. One day he's going to learn all these things about the world, yeah. and I think you should preserve their um, innocence, but their naivety for as long as you can on stuff like that. And um, so I didn't. I haven't told him that detail. He knows my friend died, and he knows. Also, Caroline once lent me her cat Waffle to um, save me from mice, and so my kids knew Waffle and loved him. So I would I talk about Waffle a lot, and I say it with my friend, you know, died, who's and so they, I kind of made the cat part of her story Mm -hmm. and um but yeah i mean uh, they never they didn't see me cry they didn't know i was really sad i mummed the shit chris and i both parented the shit out of the pandemic like everybody did we didn't leave the house for 12 weeks in la couldn't go anywhere that our first (sighs) lockdown was like 12 weeks not no not a second of Help, but not, but didn't go out, didn't do anything for twelve weeks with two really small children. Weeks. It was really, time. it was a really long time, mm. and um, you know, also dealing with literally the worst thing that's ever happened to me yeah. during that time. But I'm really, I mean, I felt in terms of our family so solid at the end of that. It's like God, we can get through anything. Yeah, which is
2: a lovely feeling. Yeah, that is a lovely yeah. feeling. And actually, like, the fact you did get through all of that is really impressive because it's such an extraordinary time, isn't it, when you think back to it? Yeah, I can't believe it. (laughs) But
3: in terms of that, you know, so in terms of me saying earlier on, which might just sound a bit whimsical of, like, you know, when I was saying to Josie last night, we're so lucky, and if it all ended tomorrow, it would be okay. Caroline to death has put that inside of me, to be like, I could live a healthy life until I'm 99, but I can't control what happens to the people I love. And you can get a phone call at any point that can change the course of your life. Like Caroline's death changed the course of my life. And I'm trying, but people are going to die and awful things are going to happen to everybody. We can't avoid it. So how do you build it into your life? And the only way that you can build something like that into your life is to appreciate when things are okay. And to know that... Just to make the most of when things are okay. That's why I'm trying to be more positive, and that's why I'm trying not to answer questions with "I cut my finger," which I did (laughs) because you asked. But, um, but I think it's there's always something positive to get from somewhere. I feel like there really is, and I know some people feel like there isn't sometimes, but there
2: always is. And there's also a lot of love in the world. There's a lot of love in the world. Good people. Yeah,
3: and I think um, if you can just sometimes you need to grab onto that a bit more than you grab onto the negative things.
2: Definitely. Definitely, and gravitate towards it. And some of it's a choice in the way you're ordering your thoughts a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying everybody has control over that, but just recognising it, like you were saying about the negative, like going through all the things, the moany things, Mm -hmm. and actually going, but actually here are the good things too. Yeah. Yeah, so trying, like I suppose, keeping the habits positive. Exactly. I say that. I don't always practise it, but I'm aware of it. It's a very
3: (laughs) hard thing to practise, and I think one of the things that's happening in society right now is that because we talk about mental health so much more than we used to, we are realizing that everyone is struggling with something there is not anyone on this earth who hasn't got some kind of anxiety fear worry yeah. um pain that they've dealt with and once you really understand that you understand that we are like everyone's got a problem you can you can kind of i feel like when i when i really truly accept that i can balance my own stuff a little bit better and um and just if when we, when, we are, when we are hopeful, and positive's a hard word because it's really hard to be positive sometimes, but when we are hopeful mm. and we do acknowledge also the good things in our life, that has a ripple effect yeah. towards everybody around you. And, um, and so that's why it's important to do it.
2: Yeah, I agree with that completely. Um, well, I'm, I'm, it's getting very hot in here, so before <laughs> I set us free and get some air, um, the last thing I want to ask you is, are you the sort of mother you thought you would be? Yes. That's
3: cool. I am. I I think I'm really fun, but I'm quite strict. Um, but I am the kind of mother who just wants to be in the kitchen cooking constantly and have the kids at the table and just throwing food at them. And, um, yeah, I think I'm exactly who I thought I would be. And that's not to say that I don't have my faults. One thing, I'm shit at playing.
1: I hate playing.
3: <laughs> really? I thought you'd be good at no, playing. No, I hate playing. I'm <laughs> like, I'll buy it for you. You play with it. I'm going to be over here. Like... <laughs> I'll do the lunch boxes, I'll prepare all these meals. I talk to my kids for hours. Like, I don't shut up with them. I'm like, we're going to sit, we're going to chat. And I, yeah, spend I wouldn't loads expect of, you not
2: to communicate yeah, with them. Yeah, <laughs> I
3: spend loads of time with them. I take them out, I do all these fun things, but I'm not good at getting down on my hands and knees and doing like imaginative play with a giraffe and a goat <laughs> it's just not it's where limited, I'm it's limited isn't it I just, it's limited and inevitably I'm doing the wrong acts and I'm getting it wrong so then they get angry with me and I'm like oh, do you know what fuck this do it yourself <laughs> so that's, that's the play that's where I fail is playing but luckily Chris is the most amazing player we'll play with them for hours and so I feel like that's the balance that we have um, but apart from that I, I love who I am as mum and
2: I love being mum Oh that's so nice well, thank you so much, Dawn. You're so welcome. Oh, it's so nice to talk with you. Hey, seeing that lovely? I'm very, very happy that Dawn said yes eventually. Thank you, Dawn. And uh, I've come outside Westfield again, so talk to you again. The football boot, pursuit, a scanner. He wants shoes that are kind of wide fit, and not too fiddly because he finds laces tricky. And I don't mind admitting that because I think a lot of kids, if they are dyslex- dyslexic or dyspraxic or um, have dyscalculia and things like that, they find doing laces quite tricky. I know my eldest three all struggle a little bit with that. So we're looking for Velcro, please, guys. That would be helpful. Um, and, oh, I wonder if any of you have caught the feeling while they're on Richard's away. He went away at the beginning of the week and he's away for another week. Going to play London on Friday. Shepherd's Bush Empire, so I'll be there. But, um, yeah, I think the tour's going really well. Everything looks good from on the road. But it's kind of strange, him having away for a fortnight. That's quite unusual. We haven't had very many of those big breaks for a little while. I'm going to let you in on a tiny secret. Part of me is quite enjoying having a little bit of quiet in the house. I'm not saying Rich is noisy, it's not. But there's just something quite nice about only having to deal with myself. Is that bad? Well, certainly I'm making the most of it, let's put it that way. <laughs> Although, actually, I wonder how you feel about this. So two of my kids, primary kids, both had really lovely parent-teacher reports back for the half term. So I was like, guys, you've done really well. You've been working hard. Why don't we have a celebratory takeaway for Friday night? And it's completely backfired. They've chosen things I don't really want to eat. One wants a KFC and another wants pizza. I think I was hoping for fish and chips. I should have just said we're going to have fish and chips to celebrate. It's a known goal. I left it open to them. I've learned yet again it's much better when I choose and then make them feel excited about my idea. (laughs) That's what I'm going to do next time. Um, Anyway, in the meantime, thank you so much. Oh, nearly dropped my phone. Um, Please do give me your recommendations of people you would like me to speak to for the next series. Uh, I've got my next two already recorded for this series. And really glorious chats. It's been honestly just some of my favourites. But I've also started booking in for series nine. So please send me your suggestions because as I've said before, some of my favorite people I've spoken to are not my idea. So keep them coming. You guys are good at this stuff. And I will speak to you soon. I hope you have a really good week. Thank you for lending me your ears and your time. And I will speak to you soon. Wish me luck with the football boots. Honestly, there's so many things I could be shopping for in Westfield except for football boots. It's, it's, it's a unique kind of bittersweet, this. All right, see you in a bit. Bye.